Welcome, everyone. I'm here today with Michael Goldstein, who is the Chief Medical Officer of Ocular Therapeutics and also Associate Professor of Ophthalmology at the New England Eye Center Tufts University School of Medicine and Co-Director of the Cornea and Anterior Segment Service. Um, Mike, welcome to Retina Synthesis. Thanks, Carmen. Um, can you tell us a little bit about ocular therapeutics? Sure. Um, so Ocular Therapeutics is a drug delivery uh, company um, focused in ophthalmology. Um, our, we have a platform based around a hydrogel. And the idea is to take um, drugs in ophthalmology that have worked well and make them work better. Um, I think we all know that, that it's challenging for patients to take eye drops. And so one of our, our goals is to make eye drops obsolete. Um, we also know that, that patients have a hard time coming in and complying with monthly intravitreal injections. And so we want to obsolete immediate release uh, injections. Um, so the way we do that is we take the hydrogel and we marry that with drugs that we know have been working well. Um, and, and we can then leverage that platform um, either as an either as a intracanalicular um, insert in order to deliver eye drops better or inject them directly into the eye. Um, in the case of, of AMD or DME um, to get prolonged release. And we also have a glaucoma pro uh, program where we inject Travaprost into the intracameral area and we can get extended release of Travaprost with a single implant. You're doing lots of work in wet macular degeneration. What's your vision for the treatment of wet macular degeneration yeah. going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, I mean, it's, it's obviously been very revolutionary in terms of the ability to, to treat patients with wet AMD um, with anti-VEGF therapy it works extremely well. Um, I think the primary issue that, that patients have is that it's very, very hard to keep up with a regiment of every four weeks or every eight weeks. So the big unmet need as we see it is for drugs that have longer durability um, primarily I would say secondarily, there's probably also a need for drugs with new mechanisms of action beyond anti-VEGF therapy. So we have two programs um, working in back of the eye. So one is um, a tyrosine kinase inhibitor, Exitinib, um, that we've developed um, for intravitreal injection, starting with wet age-related macular degeneration. Um, we currently have an implant that's in phase one trials and, and the expected target product profile is to release the drug over a minimum of six months. Um, and, um, and so that, that program is progressing well. Um, we also have a partnership with Regeneron working with Aflibercept um, and, and marrying the Aflibercept with our hydrogel and injecting it into the suprachoroidal space. Um, so that's a program that's, that's currently in preclinical development. Dr. David Boyer presented some very promising results from your phase one trial. Would you like to talk a little bit about what he reported? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that phase one trial has uh, three different cohorts that, that we're um, injecting in Australia. Um, all patients in the trial have wet AMD. And unlike many other trials currently, in order to get in this trial, you actually have to have active fluid, a certain amount of fluid to get into the trial. We did allow patients who were both naive as well as those who have had prior anti-VEGF therapy um, into the trial. And what we've shown across the three cohorts is that, th that we've seen no safety concerns um, to date, so it's been well tolerated. 
Um, at the 200 microgram dose, we saw um, stabilization, meaning the fluid didn't really go away. It didn't increase um, over time, um, but, but it, it didn't really go away in a significant period of time. In the cohort two group, we did have a number of patients where the fluid went away uh, completely. And some of these patients were patients who had had anti-VEGF therapy for um, for you know monthly or, or actually in a couple of cases, in, in some cases even every two weeks um, for for over a year, um, about half the patients made it to six months without the need for any additional um, rescue therapy, um, and we're currently enrolling cohort three, um, which is the highest dose, and and we showed the, the the first patient in the highest dose cohort to get to beyond two months, um, that patient. Um, showed complete resolution of all fluid by two months, and that's been now um, maintained um, out to four and a half months. So uh, Dr. Boyer reported that you were thinking about a protocol in which there was one dose of anti-VEGF followed by the tyrosinase kinase inhibitor. Is that correct? Yeah, so what we've noticed um, across the three cohorts, and we're still enrolling the third cohort and need to understand more with the highest dose cohort, but what we've noticed is that there's a lag of about um, up, to, up to two months uh, between when we, do, when we inject the tyrosine kinase inhibitor and we see resolution of fluid. Um, so to account um, for that, that lag period, we would, um, in, in the phase two trial, the design would be to start with anti-VEGF induction um, have the patients get dry and then randomize patients to either the tyrosine kinase inhibitor or standard of care of Flibercept, uh, and then follow those patients over a period of time. So uh, are you thinking about three loading doses or a single dose? Have you decided yet? So we haven't fully um, you know, nailed down the design, but, but the, the, the current design is actually not three loading doses. It would be one dose prior to the TKI, we'd give the TKI, and then one dose um, a month after. So, so two doses rather than three. Um, but we're still working out the specifics on that. Ophthalmologists understand how anti-VEGF molecules work, but they really are not familiar with tyrosinase kinase inhibitors. Can you talk a little bit about this class of drug and how it uh, treats neovascularization in the uh, choroid? Yeah, so you know the advantage of tyrosine kinase inhibitors is that they may have a broader spectrum of activity than typical anti-VEGF drugs. They're working against all three um, anti-VEGF uh, receptors. Um, it also has activity against uh, PDGF, um, and so you know it works at at the receptor level and then works intracellularly. Um, so it is, it's very possible that, and, and and we actually think that the way this would work is that you would use the anti-VEGF medication to sop up the ligand, get rid of all the anti-VEGF, and that the TKI can then, then be used um, chronically um, and repetitively in order to, to keep patients in a, in a dry state. Very exciting. Uh, how far away do you think you are from a phase two trial? So we are targeting phase two, we're targeting actually a, a, um, two phase two trials. So one in the US, one, um, one in Australia, and we're targeting mid-year next year. Mm -hmm. And do you have any inkling of what the design of that phase two would be like or not? Yeah, I think very similar to what, to what we said. So we'd, we'd start within, so, so in the current phase one trial, we're starting with patients who are wet, we're treating with active fluid, we're treating as monotherapy, and we're seeing if the, we can get rid of the fluid. 
to our knowledge, you know, that's very different than what other people have shown with tyrosine kinase inhibitors, where they've basically started with patients who are dry and, and maintain that dryness. So, but we wanted to see what's the biological activity as monotherapy. And, and we've demonstrated a number of patients that as monotherapy, no anti-VEGF, we can completely get rid of, of fluid, which, which I th again, I think is different than what other people have shown with tyrosine kinase inhibitors. That said, as, as I think that the use of this will really be um, you know, after anti-VEGF induction therapy. And so that's what the phase two design will mimic, anti-VEGF induction therapy and then chronic maintenance with the TKI. Uh, how did you, how can you be sure that the hydrogel is releasing drug at six months? So it's a good question. Um, we've got preclinical studies um, in, you know, primarily in rabbits, a little bit of, of data in monkeys, and, and we can show um, an extended release of, of the drug um, actually in rabbits out to a year. Um, and, and why longer? It's because the viscosity of the vitreous is, is much greater in rabbits than it is mm -hmm. in, in humans. Um, in humans, um, we, we, don't have, we, we don't have local PK. We can follow the hydrogel and we can see when the hydrogel bio erodes and that's about nine to 10 and a half months, somewhere in, in that period, because we can actually visualize it. Um, and then we can follow the, the PD marker. So looking for you know, anatomically at OCT and seeing how long we can, we can maintain patients in a dry state. Um, I should mention in, in, the, in Dr. Boyer's presentation we showed um, the furthest patient out in the in the cohort two group, so the mid group is out to 11 months. We have a patient now out to 11 months with a single implant where they, they've maintained a dry state, and that's they're still uh, being followed. Um, but you know, in terms of how long the drug actually releases, um, that's still you know we're still working that out. Do you customize the hydrogel for the application that you're concerned with? Yeah, great question. Um, so the hydrogel is incredibly flexible. Um, it was, you know, sort of the basis of the company. It was designed by a gentleman named Amar Sofwani, um, and he has used the hydrogel um, in numerous different companies, really as a, a device. Um, so it's been all over the body, um, approved uh, for use primarily as a sealant uh, or as a spacer. Um, so in neurosurgery, um, in the GI system and, and a number of other places. Ocular is the only company that's using it in the eye and Ocular is the only company to use it for drug delivery. Um, but, but the experience with the hydrogel is in, in actually now millions of patients in, in multiple uh, parts of the uh, other parts of the body. Um, the fundamental hydrogel, and it should be really hydrogels, um, is, is really the basis of everything we do. We have an approved product called Dextenza, which is approved to treat post-operative pain and inflammation. So approved about a, a year and a half ago. Um, and we've now dosed over 30,000 patients with Dextenza. Um, and what that drug does is it's placed in the canaliculus and it releases steroid um, for approximately 30 days um, after surgery. Um, but to your question, depending on the mix of, of, of um, pegs that we use in the hydrogel, um, we can tailor how long the drug is, how long the hydrogel stays around for depending on how, it's, how the drug is linked uh, or not linked in the hydrogel matrix, we can control the drug release. Um, we can do steady state release, we can do burst release, um, and, and we can differ you know, drug release compared to the hydrogel breakdown. Um, the other key is that the hydrogel will break down through bulk hydrolysis and turn into water um, over time. So no need to remove it. 
Um, if, of course, if you had to remove it for some reason, you could, but you don't have to remove it. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility in the hydrogel platform. And, you know, frankly, it's why I came to the company, not because of Dextenza, which was at that point had, had you know, was, was sort of the furthest along when I arrived three years ago, but really it's, it's to leverage the flexibility of the hydrogel um, for ophthalmic products in order to deliver them in a, in a better manner. Can you tell us a little bit about the Aflubercept uh, project? Yeah, so uh, it's a longstanding project um, with Regeneron. Um, we are um, working with them on uh, Aflubercept in order to get a prolonged release targeting um, six months um, with a single injection. Um, you know, as you know, it's, it's challenging with biologics um, in order to get an extended release um, in terms of, terms of aggregation. Um, we uh, initially had a formulation um, that um, was for intravitreal injection, um, but the amount of hydrogel that you had to put into the vitreous was pretty large. Um, and so it's now recently been announced that we've actually switched that to a super program. And so working with uh, Regeneron to, de to deliver them a super formulation um, with the hydrogel. And, and again, that's, that's now in uh, preclinical development. So, but, but your main focus is on the TKI project. Uh, TKI is wholly owned by us and wholly controlled by us. Um, so, so our, you know, our main efforts as a company are, are toward the TKI because we control all parts of it. You know, our R&D group is working closely with uh, Regeneron to develop an appropriate formulation for them for supercritical um, delivery, but they control um, the clinical development of that program. Well, I think you've got two exciting projects underway and I think we're gonna be hearing more from ocular therapeutics over the next two years. And this treatment model makes a lot of sense and uh, you have an established delivery system and you have uh, a, an established uh, molecule. So those are great, congratulations. Thank you, appreciate let's, it. Let's move on to our next topic, which is you. Um, you've worked, I think now for three companies as CMO? That's correct. Three companies at CMO. At the same time, you've worked the New England Eye Center as a corneal surgeon. So okay. to make that so that make that happen, you've had to have understanding from the academic administration and the corporate administration. How has that worked out? Is there a tension or is it uh, been smooth sailing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I, I think it's been great, and you know, I think it's it's a privilege to be able to work in ophthalmology as as a field. Um, it's a privilege to be able to, to, to work in industry and it's a privilege to be able to do both. Um, it sort of happened, um, I, I, I would say it wasn't a big plan. It almost happened accidental. Um, you know, I think like a lot of people, I started out um, in academics, um, initially at the University of Florida, where I was actually head of refractive surgery. Um, and then when, when you went down to, to Miami, you took away some of the cornea people at Tufts and um, Jay took over and, and uh, recruited me to Tufts. Um, I have always been sort of interested in um, translational medicine um, and had the opportunity, have had you know, great opportunity to work with tremendous researchers um, over time. 
um, initially at the University of Florida with, with Greg Schultz and then at Tufts with Narajahan Gondwani. Um, and through those collaborations, um, was able to get involved with a, um, you know, a company that, that um, spun out of Tufts and, and we licensed uh, to Senju. Um, and through that process, um, brought in a business development consultant who, who helped us with that. And a number of years later, um, that person became a partner at Third Rock Ventures um, and started an ophthalmic company um, and called me up one day and said, hey, um, starting this opth ophthalmology company um, focused in biologics, you know, would you have an interest? And so it's just funny how those things come around. So, um, you know, at that point, I was, you know, as you said, co-director of the coronary service. I was um, head of the residency program um, at Tufts. Um, and I basically had said to, to, to them, yeah, I could give you a little bit of time, but you know, it's, I just don't have a lot of time. Um, and they said, well, let's make you an offer. And, you know, they basically carved out a half day a week um, to start consulting and it's built from there. Um, and then as we developed that company, um, we wanted to go public and, and the CEO at the time was, was Abby Selmaker, um, who is now running Third Rock Ventures. And Abby said to me, well, how about if you can help us with the IPO process? And I said, can you take a week off to help with the, or a month off to help with the IPO process? And I thought, you know, it's a great technology. Um, there's great investors, great leadership. This would be a great activity to be able to do. Um, so I said, fine. And then a week or two later, I came back and Abby said, well, how about if you took two months off? You know, we need you to, before the IPO and we need you for a week, uh, for a month after the IPO. I thought about it and I said, okay, two months, that sounds reasonable. Um, yeah, I'll do it. And then about a month later, Abby came to me and said, well, how about if you took a year off? And, and helped us through the IPO and the follow-up. And I took a deep breath and thought, that's not really what I, where I thought this was going. Um, but, you know, again, thought great opportunity, really cool program. You know, these things just don't come around very often. And had a conversation with Jay Duker, who is uh, head of ophthalmology, chair of ophthalmology at Tufts. Jay is an incredibly forward-thinking person. Um, his view really is hire really good people. And, and you know, see what they can create. Um, Jay said, well, we don't actually have a sabbatical program at Tufts, um, but we can probably work something out if this is what you wanna do. So we worked out an arrangement where I would um, take a year off by, by working full-time at the company four days a week and, and would decrease my time at, at Tufts New England Eye Center to a day a week. Um, it had to go through the the, the corporate office at, at Tufts and they signed off on it. Um, and it's been great. And it's, it's, it's really, um, I, I think it's worked out really well. I, I mean, I really appreciate the flexibility that Jay has been able to show. I think it's very forward thinking um, for an academic um, chair um, to be able to allow that flexibility. But I think when you look at New England Eye Center and you look at the people we've been able, he's been able to recruit and you were able to recruit you know, we've got a lot of, you know, very entrepreneurial, smart people and doing a lot of really interesting things. Um, I think on the industry side, um, there's a lot of value to, to keeping your, your hand and seeing patients. And, you know, the, the, the way you think about the, the, 
delivering medications, the way you think about drug development, the way you think about the applicability, all of that, you know, is, I think it's very helpful to sort of keep your, your, your hands in seeing patients. And then, and then the last thing and sort of the unexpected thing is that patients love talking about it. Patients love hearing about, you know, what's on the cutting edge and that we're sort of doing, you know, not just research, but, but research that actually, you know, could really benefit them. Um, at a company, you know, working with a company that can actually deliver things that are, that are, you know, going to, going to directly benefit patients in, in the near term. So, um, so, so I think it's been, I think it's been great. Um, that said, there are certainly challenges and I tell people I've basically got two full-time jobs um, and, you know, it's interesting to balance. What advice do you have to colleagues that would like to become a chief medical officer at an ophthalmic company? Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's a great thing to do. And I think you need to think about why you want to do it. Um, what, what it's not is easier and it's not fewer hours. Um, what it is, it's very collegial. Um, there's, you know, everything is very team oriented. Um, there's, everyone brings their expertise. Um, and I think clinician, clinician scientists bring a lot of value to the process um, and, and can get a lot out of it. Um, but, you know, there, everything's a trade-off and it's fun taking care of patients um, and it's fun doing surgery. And, you know, I mean, that stuff just has to be cut back. And, and particularly the surgical side, it's, it's hard to keep up a busy surgical practice um, when you're part-time. So, so, so that's the trade-off. The other big trade-off, um, which I think most physicians don't really understand is when you move into industry, you really have a boss. Um, so when you're, when you're an ophthalmologist or a physician, you know, your, your boss is really your patients. And, and as long as you do a good job, most chairmen, I think, stay out of your way. And, you know, but really you run your own practice in many ways. But when you go into industry, it really is, there is a hierarchy you're part of that hierarchy. The chairman um, or CEO um, is, is very important. The board's very important. And so, so there is this hierarchy that, that you need to, to you know, respect and be aware of and, and you know, be, in, be in alignment with. Um, but you know, I, I, and I guess the final thing I would say is if you are interested, it's definitely a great thing to do. There are not many people that work in ophthalmology that have drug development experience. And, so, and there are plenty of companies that are looking for people to do the, to, to, to have the, that skill set. So there are lots of job opportunities um, for those who are interested. Well, Mike, thanks so much for sharing a story of ocular therapeutics. That's exciting. And just as uh, exceptional is your career story. It's fantastic. And I know that our viewers will enjoy seeing it. So. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Carmen. I really appreciate it. Thanks for including me.